Hello and welcome back to another episode of Faking Injuries. Here at Faking Injuries, we are the American ambassadors to the beautiful game of European football and football the world over. It's been a week or so since our last episode, so we got to get back in the booth. We've had a very nice holiday abroad in Ibiza, but we're back here and we're going to take it nice and easy. We don't want to pull a hamstring, a vocal cord, etc. So be prepared. It is going to be the randomest of random episodes today, but we're really looking forward to it. We're going to start with Gank in the Belgian League. I don't think you see a lot of top-tier football podcasts like ours doing that, but that's why we're the innovators. We are, and we're going to bounce all around. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I am. Thanks, Noah. This is going to be a loose one, if I had to guess. We have some glasses of white wine poured, some of your best vintage uh, out of your, your closet. So no, this is Bordeaux wine. Oh, sorry. sorry and sorry. it's an important vintage because it marks their relegation last year at the hand of American capitalists. So I think if we go five, 10 years into the future, this is top dollar wine we're consuming tonight. This is going <laughs> to be very valuable in the future, but yeah, let's jump into it. Let's keep this one loose. Let's keep this one moving. Gank, we got to talk about them because you won't stop texting me about them just incessantly. They've sold a lot of big players recently, like Paul Nuachu to Southampton, but they're still kind of firing. Absolutely. You said we have to start here. Again, we really don't. A lot of people <laughs> wouldn't. I'm not sure they even get an ESPN Plus subscription, or maybe they do and they just don't know the Belgian leagues on it. But here's why we got to talk about Gank. All right. They're at the top of the league in Belgium. You know, in front of teams like Club Bruges, Union SG, and others who are perennially above where Gank usually are. But let me just paint a picture for you, all right? It's funny because the earliest I get up in a week is on the weekends, and usually to watch European football. And I woke up specifically to watch Gank versus Anderlecht. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little late. I told myself I was going to catch the whole game. Woke up about 60 minutes in, but the timing couldn't have been any better. By the time I walked into my retooled man cave that has two TVs beautifully mounted, got ESPN Plus on one, Peacock on the other, the fourth official was holding up a huge board announcing the substitutions of Yurisor, our favorite new striker at Gank, via Slavia Prague. We've been tracking him. But also a six foot six behemoth striker named Tolu Orokodare. That now, sounds spot on. <laughs> it does. And yeah, six foot six, huge striker, but they're honestly downgrading a little bit when we think of the man who just left for Southampton, Paul Onuwachu, another Nigerian, six foot eight. So are Gank trying to get smaller here or trying to play the same style? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't love this replacement. It feels like you had to go six foot eight or bigger. You know, it just feels like you're completely changing the system now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're bringing a guy who's six six. I'm almost 6'6". I don't think I could start for Gank. So they might regret this one. But yes, he is the ready-made replacement up top. They needed another tall motherfucker. And this team is just flying. They're playing so well. You look across the squad. Not one player is really having a bad season, you could say. No. So I think he's probably just going to slot in just like Urasor has and score some goals right away. I mean, you look through the squad... There's not one underperforming player. You got Paintsill on the right, 
Tresor usually on the left, drifting wherever he wants. And How many assists does he have? Is he at 20 yet? He's at 16. Oh, sorry. And six goals. And Paintsville's about to hit 10 and 10. So that's just ridiculous output from your wingers. You don't see that really anywhere. Yeah, and Arokodare, who is coming from Amiens in Ligue 2 from France, you couldn't really ask for more with wingers that are used to putting in the ball for a huge Nigerian striker. The nationality doesn't matter, but it certainly couldn't hurt, right? <laughs> <laughs> the connection's there, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And both him and Soar, I love the Nigerian front line that they're putting together. They both offer a little something different. Soar, in this game specifically, I mean, Toby Alderweireld loved him at Spurs, but he looked like he's considering moving back to the Middle East for a huge bag because the combination of Soar, Tresser, and Paintsill were just constantly running by him, really made him consider whether he needs to hit the retirement home a little bit sooner than expected. I honestly felt bad for a guy, and it's not often I feel bad for multimillionaires. Yeah, that's worse torture than Guantanamo Bay, to be honest. I mean, you don't want those guys running at you all day long. I have a question for you, because we've been hyping up this front line, and it is very, very exciting. I wanted to shift a little to the back line because they got some interesting prospects there, starting with Mark McKenzie, the American who I've seen around on USMNT Twitter, and I know you're more tuned in to our national team. Is this guy just destined to start for us in the future? Or? I think he is. He got a solid look in with success in the MLS and in the first few months of his move from Belgium, but he's kind of gone under the radar since then. But he's doing really everything he needs to, playing week in and week out. Who's the center back partner again? South American, I believe. Yep, uh, Cuesta. He is a five foot ten Colombian. Yeah, these guys are exciting. And then at right back, I think they play Preciado. Uh, they pay, play Daniel Munoz most games. He's got six goals and five assists. Colombian. They got. I, they have two Colombian he, right he, backs. Yeah. Okay. And then the left back is a young Mexican. Plays for the national team as well. Help me out. Name here. Gerardo Ortega. Exactly. Check him out. Throwback here, but you remember Rick Karsdorp and the ugly neck tattoos he was sporting? This guy's really given him a run for his money, but does what those wingers do as well. Launches balls into the box, offers a lot of pace and general defensive contributions as well. Like this team, as you said, there's not a lot of lackers freeloading off the social security system in Belgium, probably because there isn't one. Yeah, and they're just getting a lot of goal involvements from their defense, specifically their fullbacks, which is insane. Like, five goals and six assists for the right back is actually absurd. Those would be Trent-level numbers in the Premier League. And they're just scoring for fun, but also keeping a lot of clean sheets. They only have allowed 23 goals in the league through 25 games. That's pretty solid numbers. I also got to say, Van de Voort, who is their goalkeeper. Yes. He's 20 years old, and he's kind of seen as the apparent heir to Thibaut Courtois. Whenever he kind of ages out or starts hitting Hugo Lloris levels of form. And DUIs. And DUIs. But he's looking exciting. Already valued at 10 mil on transfer market. And he's only 20. So he's one to watch as well. Just exciting players throughout this squad. I feel like we've kind of beaten this gang horse to death. But they deserve to be in the spotlight first and foremost in our episode. No, we beat this horse to death because it is a naughty horse. And <laughs> if I'm going to 
close my personal ties here. It's just, they're so enjoyable to watch. I literally feel like this team could just be transplanted in France or Germany. Every level of this organization, the playing squad, the managerial staff, and obviously the front office as well. Like this is just such a well-run machine and I'm excited to see both where they finish this year, next year, the sales they produce, but- What they can do in Europe. Yeah, and lastly, just where these amazing players we've noted will make their furthest leaps in European football. Because I think over half of this squad will be playing in top five, top three leagues at some point. And top five or top three teams in those leagues. Yeah, very possible. So thank you, Gank. The naughty horse, also what Noah's fiance calls him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move it next because if we try hard enough, there is technically a segue here. But the biggest sale in the last 12 months from Gank Happened in January. Paul Onuachu, the aforementioned six foot eight behemoth Nigerian striker, man you've nicknamed the Siege Tower. He moved to Southampton for how much? I think it was around 18 mil. So they signed him. They also signed Kamaldin Sulemana for 25 mil. They made a couple other smaller buys, I believe, but they're really going for it after firing Nathan Jones, who was the cockiest manager we've seen since Jose Mourinho 2004. But he happens to not be very good at the managing side of the game. He loves to talk himself up in press conferences. I'm the next Pep Guardiola. Look what I did in Luton Town, all this stuff. But he got the sack, deservedly so. I think I heard him describe himself as the hardest working man in football. Maybe that's apocryphal. But I think the hardest working man anywhere is whatever poor therapist on BetterHelp.com was matched with Nathan Jones. Because for whatever braggadocia he is generating at press conferences, you know it's a front for just potentially a fragile shell of a human being within there. And I mean that respectfully as someone who's been there. Nathan, we're with you, but get some help, man. Respectfully, yeah. Your therapist definitely called you a narcissist. Respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> but back to Southampton, the January window... The sacking of Nathan Jones, though that feels nothing less than inevitable, they're really doing their best to claw out of rock bottom of the Premier League, and rightfully so when you consider, hey, we're currently guaranteed to make 200 million pounds this season. If we fall down to that shitty league below us, just from a revenue perspective, that guaranteed money is down to like 20 million pounds, but Rasmus Ankerson, the former Brentford magical technical director who's gotten more of the reins now he's got to be worried about the serbian billionaire he got into bed with at sport republic to buy the squad because i don't think he's going to take kindly to getting relegated in his first season when he's the one writing the checks yeah rasmus Ankerson does not want the heavies to be sent after him and <laughs> we know this billionaire has heavies that's for sure i like what they did though appointing jesse marsh or at least unofficially now but it seems like it's about to no, go first everyone. reported here first reported here jesse marsh new southampton manager this feels right and more right than it did at leeds i think because although people thought he was going to be a great fit at leeds because of the pressing system it just was the wrong time they were in transition marcel bielsa is a tough man to take over from and that squad was kind of ran to death over the last five years so but this feels like a good system for him because he's taking over from Ralph Hasenhuel, then the best manager ever, Nathan Jones. But the Hasenhuel players are still here. And we've praised their recruitment over the last 12 months. Not all of it has been perfect. And they certainly went young 
very young and took a big risk. But Jesse Marsh likes to play that 4-2-2-2. 4-4-2-ish with flexibility, but pressing. Right. like Very similar to what Ralph Hasenhul had these guys playing for years. And he was the main reason they were staying in the league because that squad was has been shambles for a long time. Yeah, it's almost like if these players can just forget that Nathan Jones was ever their boss. Like, I'm not sure what access the Serbian billionaire has in the Serbian pharmaceutical industry, but if he can get them, like, quaaludes or something just to forget the last two months of their lives and whatever tactics Nathan Jones was shoving in their faces, this really could work out seamlessly, right? You're just going from Ralph straight to Jesse. There was no Nathan Jones ever. Yep, you just completely erase it from your mind, erase that section of the season, and I could see them climbing out of this because they do have some exciting new players. Obviously, a lot of pace up top now with Sulemana. That's a big upgrade on El Yanusi, am I right? Like, yes. Romeo Lavia, who was their stud center mid at the start of the season, he's back fit and he's looking good. I just think they have enough. I still love their back line. Mohamed Salisu, Bella Kochap, although I think he was injured for a little bit. They're both studs. So they could make something happen and they're going to play some exciting football for the rest of the year. That's a guarantee. Yeah. I think Jesse, AKA big daddy USA can keep the boys up. Could be, you know, with where we're at in the season, it might have to be a last couple games. I'm calling my shot now. James Ward Krause, extra time, free kick, bar down, Jesse Marsh gets red carded in his celebrations, but Southampton stays up and Rasmus Ankerson keeps his head. I think so. I, I could really see him staying up and I could see Leeds going down at this point, oh. which I think would be a crazy turn of events. <laughs> I really like that storyline actually now. I guess from our perspective, which being the narcissist that Nathan Jones would want us to be, how are we metabolizing our whole Leeds USA fandom that was probably 50% at least informed by Jesse Marsh, Big Daddy USA being the manager. Are we now Southampton stands? Like, where is our Leeds versus Southampton fandom at? Well, I think I've been a Southampton stand, first and foremost, but it's going to be tough to look away from that USA midfield. I seriously do think they might get relegated, but I am going to root for Tyler Adams like and Wes McKenney. I just do love those guys. So. Yeah, not Brendan Aronson, though. No, 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 not Brendan Aronson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. And before all the Leeds fans, of which there's thousands who listen to us, before they come for our heads, because they're probably the most rabid animals outside of the dogs of Costa Rica in the world. Respectfully. Respectfully. <laughs> Just know that we will always have a piece of leads in our heart, but that Big Daddy USA, it's really hard to ignore once you get a little bit of Jesse inside of you, respectfully. Yeah, yeah you do what Daddy tells you to do. Let's keep it moving, Charlie. It's a random episode. We've been random, but I think we can be more random somehow. I think we just came up with a new segment that probably encompasses 80% of the content we've ever published on this podcast, which you've named Rant Corner. Do you want to kick us off in our first inaugural official Rant Corner? You said you have rants, plural, but let's start with the big one. Yeah, I think this is the first time we're ever naming it, but this is exactly what we do the entire podcast every week. Yeah, it's like a child in ancient Sparta. You have to wait till its fifth birthday before you even give it a name, right? You've had too many history references since you started reading. <laughs> but my first rant, I need to talk about 
a little bit about the state of Twitter and just the analysts on there. By analysts, I mean the fans that think they know a lot. Fanalists. The fanalists. <laughs> but I just, I hate when people say on Twitter or just broadly, even commentators say this stuff sometimes. They're like, oh, this team is playing this guy out of position. All they need to do is play him as a 10 or an 8 and everything will be solved. I think part of this comes from like uh, Mason Mount having a bad season. And every game, the commentators are like, ah, oh, they're playing him out of position, this and that. It feels like you're just dumbing down a problem that is so much more complex than an individual player being in the wrong spot on the field. And you're just saying it's because the manager's putting him in the wrong spot. I hate this logic. I think it's completely wrong. I think teams are a cohesive unit, right? They only function when the whole unit is flowing. It's not just one player needs to be in this position and then he'll thrive and then everything will change. Because what happens is sometimes managers will move these guys around and nothing will change. They'll still have bad games. So... Am I making any sense here? Yeah. Um, if I had to keep this moving, I'd I'd call out the fact that soccer versus really any other major sport that Americans and the world over care about, it's the least discreet in the sense that like at the very far end of that discreet spectrum, it's baseball where every play starts over with a pitcher pitching just with how simple, straightforward, repeatable, easy to track that is. You really can track certain things like batting average. How does a player hit against a left-handed pitcher, right-handed with batters in scoring position, etc. NFL, there's a snap in between there's like a snap. every place. You know the starting point for your data set. There's formations, right, with personnel. You know they're playing two tight ends or no tight ends and multiple running backs, etc. But it's just so much more fluid. It's probably the furthest sport on that side of the spectrum. And there's 22 individual variables at any given time on the pitch, right? And so there's just like so much going on. And I remember talking to this guy at my work who's a Chelsea supporter, but he's at least humble enough, more humble than myself to be like, yeah, Chelsea are playing like shit, but I have no idea what's going on and what's the problem. It is hard to know at any given time what each variable is contributing to the whole. 100%. And I think we try to put them in... I think we try to put these teams in formations, but if you actually watch the game, they're never in the same formation at any phase of play. They're always changing. And yeah, you could say they're playing like a 4-3-3 or like a 5 at the back, but often that changes in the middle of the game. It's very fluid. We try to put these players in positions and systems, but it doesn't really function like that. Players have roles. They're told to pick up the ball here and carry it. They're told to run down the touchline and cross it, but they're not necessarily in the same spots constantly. No, so. there's not plays. You yes, know? Like yeah. On set pieces, that's the most discreet thing there is where, hey, if we get a free kick somewhere in this position, we do have a chance to set up and try to affect what most resembles a play. But in general, it's just patterns and a compliment we'll hear, right, is a midfielder or someone has such great awareness of space. These managers and the clubs as a whole get great players who have an awareness of space and patterns and they can interplay and try to affect certain things almost innately based on what they're seeing, overloads, etc. I'm not sure we made a ton of sense there. Yeah, I think if I'm going to wrap this up with a little bow and, and conclude it, it's just to say that, you know, to the fanalists on Twitter... It's never going to be one change or one thing or, oh, we got to play this guy at striker. One change is never going to fix a team's bad form, right? It's 
10 times more complex than that. And sometimes no changes will fix a team's bad form. Sometimes they're just in a slump because it's the most random game ever like this episode. Boom. Rant concluded? Rant concluded. All right, can I get mine? Yeah. My little baby rant. So I'm going to title this one YouTube Video Highlights. Now, I do my best with all the TVs that I mentioned that I have now, and that's two. I do my best to watch everything, but a lot of times I can't catch a full match and have to resort to video highlights. It's an imperfect science, but it's better than nothing. NBC, please tell me how it is possible I can go to the gym at 9 p.m. Central Time, humble brag, and not have highlights from a match that was concluded five hours earlier. The lone match that was played that day. This happened to me last Friday. I was nothing less than incensed. Especially when I consider that I checked the next day, Friday night, for the Nice versus Ajaxio. Apologies for the pronunciation there. But I checked the highlights of that match that were played at the same time, all right, like 2 p.m., checking the highlights at 9 p.m. And these highlights were done five hours previously. Now, first and foremost, it's never a good thing when you're being outworked by the French, right? Like, that is the biggest insult you can get. That's a sentence that's never been said in the history of the world. If my boss ever told me that, I would just resign right there. Like, I would omit a severance package just to get the fuck out of there and not hear any somehow more disparaging things come from his mouth. But now that I think about it, um, it's not the French that own BN Sports Network. It's actually the Qataris. And knowing what I know about who the Qataris employ, it's not a lot of Qataris. So I don't know who is doing these highlights, if they're well compensated or not. Um, apologies if it is very poorly compensated workers. But um, yeah, can we just forget I brought this up? Do better, NBC. I think I can spin this into a positive and just praise CBS, who put their Champions League highlights up maybe an hour or less after the game is concluded, which is just incredible, right? I couldn't agree more. NBC needs to step their game up. Just hire some non-French people, you know, like literally anywhere else in the world. Just hire some hardworking people, edit that video quickly. It doesn't seem too difficult. No, get it out. I need some entertainment on the elliptical. Probably the biggest bitch cardio machine one could do. That was probably designed by a French person. Like, <laughs> but seriously, like that just absolutely had my jaw on the ground that Ligon was putting out highlights five times faster than the Premier League. Strictly shameful. Couldn't agree more. They're just disrespecting our time and our elliptical workouts, which yeah. we both do lots of. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably time to call it an episode when we start talking about ellipticals. This has been fun. It's been a random episode. Very free-flowing, but I feel like we've gotten our thoughts out there. It's kind of like sitting down with a therapist. You know, we just got to get these things off our chest, and we feel better at the end of the day. Yep. So thank you for listening as always. Please follow us on Twitter, at Faking Injuries. Give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening to us on. Anything else from you now? Nothing else from me. Feels good to be back. Let's keep it rolling. Yes, sir. Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye.